0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Carl Manchester, 2006. A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. With strictures on political and moral subjects. By Mary Wollstonecraft, 1792. Chapter 2. The Prevailing Opinion of a Sexual Character Discussed. To account for and excuse the tyranny of man, many ingenious arguments have been brought forward to prove that the two sexes in the acquirement of virtue ought to aim at attaining a very different character. Or, to speak explicitly, women are not allowed to have sufficient strength of mind to acquire what really deserves the name of virtue, yet it should seem, allowing them to have souls, that there is but one way appointed by providence to lead mankind to either virtue or happiness if then women are not a swarm of effeminate triflers why should they be kept in ignorance under the specious name of innocence men complain and with reason of the follies and caprices of our sex when they do not keenly satirize our headstrong passions and grovelling vices behold i should answer the natural effect of ignorance the mind will ever be unstable that has only prejudices to rest on and the current will run with destructive fury when there are no barriers to break its force women are told from their infancy and taught by the example of their mothers that a little knowledge of human weakness justly termed cunning softness of temper outward obedience and a scrupulous attention to a puerile kind of propriety will obtain for them the protection of man and should they be beautiful everything else is needless for at least twenty years of their lives thus milton describes our first frail mother though when he tells us that women are formed for softness and sweet attractive grace i cannot comprehend his meaning unless in the true mahometan strain he meant to deprive us of souls and insinuate that we were beings only designed by sweet attractive grace and docile blind obedience to gratify the senses of man when he can no longer soar on the wing of contemplation how grossly do they insult us who thus advise us only to render ourselves gentle domestic brutes FOR INSTANCE THE WINNING SOFTNESS SO WARMLY AND FREQUENTLY RECOMMENDED THAT GOVERNS BY OBEYING. WHAT CHILDISH EXPRESSIONS, AND HOW INSIGNIFICANT IS THE BEING. CAN IT BE AN IMMORTAL ONE, WHO WILL CONDESCEND TO GOVERN BY SUCH SINISTER METHODS? CERTAINLY, SAYS LORD BACON. MAN IS OF KIN TO THE BEAST BY HIS BODY, AND IF HE BE NOT OF KIN TO GOD BY HIS SPIRIT, HE IS A BASE AND IGNOBLE CREATURE. Men, indeed, appear to me to act in a very unphilosophical manner, when they try to secure the good conduct of women by attempting to keep them always in a state of childhood. Rousseau was more consistent when he wished to stop the progress of reason in both sexes, for if men eat of the tree of knowledge, women will come in for a taste; but from the imperfect cultivation which their understandings now receive, they only attain a knowledge of evil. Children, I grant, should be innocent. But when the epithet is applied to men or women, it is but a civil term for weakness. For if it be allowed that women were destined by providence to acquire human virtues, and by the exercise of their understanding, that stability of character which is the firmest ground to rest our future hopes upon, they must be permitted to turn to the fountain of light, and not forced to shape their course by the twinkling of a mere satellite. Milton, I grant, was of a very different opinion for he only bends to the indefeasible right of beauty though it would be difficult to render two passages which I now mean to contrast consistent but into similar inconsistencies are great men often led by their senses to whom thus eve with perfect beauty adorned my author and disposer what thou bidst unargued I obey so God ordains God is thy law thou mine to know no more is woman's happiest knowledge, and her praise. These are exactly the arguments that I have used to children, but I have added, your reason is now gaining strength, and till it arrives at some degree of maturity, you must look up to me for advice, then you ought to think and only rely on God. Yet in the following lines, Milton seems to coincide with me, when he makes Adam thus expostulate with his Maker. Hast thou not made me here thy substitute, and these inferior far beneath me set? Among unequals what society can sort what harmony or true delight, which must be mutual, in proportion due, given and received, but in disparity, the one intense the other still remiss, cannot well suit with either, but soon prove, tedious alike, a fellowship I speak such as I seek, fit to participate, all rational delight. In treating, therefore, of the manners of women, let us, disregarding sensual arguments, trace what we should endeavour to make them in order to cooperate, if the expression be not too bold, with the supreme being. By individual education, I mean, for the sense of the word is not precisely defined, such an attention to a child as will slowly sharpen the senses, form the temper regulate the passions as they begin to ferment and set the understanding to work before the body arrives at maturity so that the man may only have to proceed not to begin the important task of learning to think and reason to prevent any misconstruction i must add that i do not believe that a private education can work the wonders which some sanguine writers have attributed to it men and women must be educated in a great degree by the opinions and manners of the society they live in in every age there has been a stream of popular opinion that has carried all before it and given a family character as it were to the century it may then fairly be inferred that till society be differently constituted much cannot be expected from education it is however sufficient for my present purpose to assert that whatever effect circumstances have on the abilities every being may become virtuous by the exercise of its own reason for if but one being was created with vicious inclinations that is positively bad what can save us from atheism or if we worship a god is not that god a devil consequently the most perfect education in my opinion is such an exercise of the understanding as is best calculated to strengthen the body and form the heart or in other words to enable the individual to attain such habits of virtue as will render it independent. In fact it is a farce to call any being virtuous whose virtues do not result from the exercise of its own reason. This was Rousseau's opinion respecting men, I extend it to women, and confidently assert that they have been drawn out of their sphere by false refinement and not by an endeavour to acquire masculine qualities still the regal homage which they receive is so intoxicating that till the manners of the times are changed and formed on more reasonable principles it may be impossible to convince them that the illegitimate power which they obtain by degrading themselves is a curse and that they must return to nature and equality if they wish to secure the placid satisfaction that unsophisticated affections impart but for this epoch we must wait wait perhaps till kings and nobles enlightened by reason And preferring the real dignity of man to childish state throw off their gaudy hereditary trappings and if then women do not resign the arbitrary power of beauty they will prove that they have less mind than man i may be accused of arrogance still i must declare what i firmly believe that all the writers who have written on the subject of female education and manners from Rousseau to dr gregory have contributed to render women more artificial weak characters than they would otherwise have been and consequently more useless members of society i might have expressed this conviction in a lower key but i am afraid it would have been the wine of affectation and not the faithful expression of my feelings of the clear result which experience and reflection have led me to draw when i come to that division of the subject i shall avert the passages that i more particularly disapprove of in the works of the authors i have just alluded to but it is first necessary to observe that my objection extends to the whole purport of those books which tend in my opinion to degrade one-half of the human species and render women pleasing at the expense of every solid virtue though to reason on rousseau's ground if man did attain a degree of perfection of mind when his body arrived at maturity it might be proper in order to make a man and his wife one that she should rely entirely on his understanding and the graceful ivy Clasping the oak that supported it would form a whole in which strength and beauty would be equally conspicuous. But alas! Husbands, as well as their helpmates, are often only overgrown children. Nay, thanks to early debauchery, scarcely men in their outward form, and if the blind lead the blind, one need not come from heaven to tell us the consequence. Many are the causes that, in the present corrupt state of society, contribute to enslave women by cramping their understandings and sharpening their senses one perhaps that silently does more mischief than all the rest is their disregard of order to do everything in an orderly manner is a most important precept which women who generally speaking receive only a disorderly kind of education seldom attend to with that degree of exactness that men who from their infancy are broken into method observe this negligent kind of guesswork for what other epithet can be used to point out the random exertions of a sort of instinctive common sense never brought to the test of reason prevents their generalizing matters of fact so they do to-day what they did yesterday merely because they did it yesterday this contempt of the understanding in early life has more baneful consequences than is commonly supposed for the little knowledge which women of strong minds attain is from various circumstances of a more desultory kind than the knowledge of men and it is acquired more by sheer observations on real life than from comparing what has been individually observed with the results of experience generalised by speculation led by their dependent situation and domestic employments more into society what they learn is rather by snatches and as learning is with them in general only a secondary thing they do not pursue any one branch with that persevering ardour necessary to give vigour to the faculties and clearness to the judgment in the present state of society a little learning is required to support the character of a gentleman and boys are obliged to submit to a few years of discipline but in the education of women the cultivation of the understanding is always subordinate to the acquirement of some corporeal accomplishment even while enervated by confinement and false notions of modesty the body is prevented from attaining that grace and beauty which relaxed half formed limbs never exhibit. Besides, in youth, their faculties are not brought forward by emulation, having no serious scientific study. If they have natural sagacity, it is turned too soon on life and manners. They dwell on effects and modifications without tracing them back to causes, and complicated rules to adjust behaviour are a weak substitute for simple principles. As a proof that education gives this appearance of weakness to females, We may instance the example of military men, who are, like them, sent into the world before their minds have been stored with knowledge, or fortified by principles. The consequences are similar. Soldiers acquire a little superficial knowledge, snatched from the muddy current of conversation, and from continually mixing with society they gain what is termed a knowledge of the world, and this acquaintance with manners and customs has frequently been confounded with a knowledge of the human heart. But can the crude fruit of casual observation, never brought to the test of judgment, formed by comparing speculation and experience, deserve such a distinction? Soldiers, as well as women, practice the minor virtues with punctilious politeness. Where is then the sexual difference, when the education has been the same? All the difference I can discern arises from the superior advantage of liberty, which enables the former to see more of life. It is wandering from my present subject, perhaps, to make a political remark. But as it was produced naturally by the train of my reflections, I shall not pass it silently over. Standing armies can never consist of resolute, robust men. They may be well-disciplined machines, but they will seldom contain men under the influence of strong passions, or with very vigorous faculties. And as for any depth of understanding, I will venture to affirm that it is as rarely to be found in the army as amongst women, and the cause I maintain is the same. It may be further observed that officers are also particularly attentive to their persons, fond of dancing, crowded rooms, adventures, and ridicule. Footnote. Why should women be censured with petulant acrimony? Because they seem to have a passion for a scarlet coat. Has not education placed them more on a level with soldiers than any other class of men? End footnote. Like the fair sex, the business of their lives is gallantry. They are taught to please, and they only live to please. Yet they do not lose their rank in the distinction of sexes, for they are still reckoned superior to women, though in what their superiority consists, beyond what I have just mentioned, it is difficult to discover. The great misfortune is this that they both acquire manners before morals and a knowledge of life before they have from reflection any acquaintance with the grand ideal outline of human nature the consequence is natural satisfied with common nature they become a prey to prejudices and taking all their opinions on credit they blindly submit to authority so that if they have any sense it is a kind of instinctive glance that catches proportions and decides with respect to manners but fails when arguments are to be pursued below the surface, or opinions analysed. May not the same remark be applied to women? Nay, the argument may be carried still further, for they are both thrown out of a useful station by the unnatural distinctions established in civilised life. Riches and hereditary honours have made ciphers of women to give consequence to the numerical figure, and idleness has produced a mixture of gallantry And despotism into society, which leads the very men who are the slaves of their mistresses to tyrannize over their sisters, wives, and daughters. This is only keeping them in rank and file, it is true. Strengthen the female mind by enlarging it, and there will be an end to blind obedience. But as blind obedience is ever sought for by power, tyrants and sensualists are in the right way when they endeavour to keep women in the dark, because the former only want slaves, and the latter a plaything the sensualist indeed has been the most dangerous of tyrants and women have been duped by their lovers as princes by their ministers whilst dreaming that they reigned over them i now principally allude to rousseau for his character of sophia is undoubtedly a captivating one though it appears to me grossly unnatural however it is not the superstructure but the foundation of her character the principles on which her education was built that i mean to attack nay warmly as i admire the genius of that able writer whose opinions i shall often have occasion to cite indignation always takes place of admiration and the rigid frown of insulted virtue effaces the smile of complacency which his eloquent periods are wont to raise when i read his voluptuous reveries is this the man who in his ardour for virtue would banish all the soft arts of peace and almost carry us back to spartan discipline is this the man who delights to paint the useful struggles of passion the triumphs of good dispositions and the heroic flights which carry the glowing soul out of itself how are these mighty sentiments lowered when he describes the pretty foot and enticing airs of his little favorite but for the present i waive the subject and instead of severely reprehending the transient effusions of overweening sensibility i shall only observe that whoever has cast a benevolent eye on society must often have been gratified by the sight of a humble mutual love, not dignified by sentiment or strengthened by a union in intellectual pursuits. The domestic trifles of the day have afforded matters for cheerful converse, and innocent caresses have softened toils which did not require great exercise of mind or stretch of thought. Yet has not the sight of this moderate felicity excited more tenderness than respect? An emotion similar to what we feel when children are playing or animals sporting footnote similar feelings has milton's pleasing picture of paradisiacal happiness ever raised in my mind yet instead of envying the lovely pair i have with conscious dignity or satanic pride turned to hell for sublimer objects in the same style when viewing some noble monument of human art i have traced the emanation of the deity in the order i admired till descending from that giddy height I have caught myself contemplating the grandest of all human sights. For fancy quickly placed in some solitary recess an outcast of fortune, rising superior to passion and discontent. End footnote. Whilst the contemplation of the noble struggles of suffering merit has raised admiration, and carried our thoughts to that world where sensation will give place to reason. Women are, therefore, to be considered either as moral beings or so weak that they must be entirely subjected to the superior faculties of men let us examine this question rousseau declares that a woman should never for a moment feel herself independent that she should be governed by fear to exercise her natural cunning and made a coquettish slave in order to render her a more alluring object of desire a sweeter companion to man whenever he chooses to relax himself he carries the arguments which he pretends to draw from the indications of nature, still further, and insinuates that truth and fortitude, the cornerstones of all human virtue, should be cultivated with certain restrictions, because, with respect to the female character, obedience is the grand lesson which ought to be impressed with unrelenting vigour. What nonsense! When will a great man arise with sufficient strength of mind to puff away the fumes which pride and sensuality have thus spread over the subject? if women are by nature inferior to men their virtues must be the same in quality if not in degree or virtue is a relative idea consequently their conduct should be founded on the same principles and have the same aim connected with man as daughters wives and mothers their moral character may be estimated by their manner of fulfilling those simple duties but the end, the grand end of their exertions should be to unfold their own faculties and acquire the dignity of conscious virtue They may try to render their road pleasant, but ought never to forget, in common with man, that life yields not the felicity which can satisfy an immortal soul. I do not mean to insinuate that either sex should be so lost in abstract reflections or distant views as to forget the affections and duties that lie before them, and are, in truth, the means appointed to produce the fruit of life. On the contrary, I would warmly recommend them, even while I assert that they afford most satisfaction when they are considered in their true sober light probably the prevailing opinion that woman was created for man may have taken its rise from moses's poetical story yet as very few it is presumed who have bestowed any serious thought on the subject ever supposed that eve was literally speaking one of adam's ribs the deduction must be allowed to fall to the ground or only be so far admitted as it proves that man from the remotest antiquity found it convenient to exert his strength to subjugate his companion and his invention to show that she ought to have her neck bent under the yoke because the whole creation was only created for his convenience or pleasure let it not be concluded that i wish to invert the order of things i have already granted that from the constitution of their bodies men seem to be designed by providence to attain a greater degree of virtue i speak collectively of the whole sex but i see not the shadow of a reason to conclude that their virtues should differ in respect to their nature in fact how can they if virtue has only one eternal standard i must therefore if i reason consequentially as strenuously maintain that they have the same simple direction as that there is a god it follows then that cunning should not be opposed to wisdom little cares to great exertions or insipid softness varnished over with the name of gentleness to that fortitude which grand views alone can inspire i shall be told that woman would then lose many of her peculiar graces and the opinion of a well-known poet might be quoted to refute my unqualified assertion for pope has said in the name of the whole male sex yet ne'er so sure our passions to create as when she touched the brink of all we hate in what light this sally places men and women I shall leave to the judicious to determine. Meanwhile, I shall content myself with observing that I cannot discover why, unless they are mortal, females should always be degraded by being made subservient to love or lust. To speak disrespectfully of love is, I know, high treason against sentiment and fine feelings, but I wish to speak the simple language of truth, and rather to address the head than the heart. To endeavour to reason love out of the world, would be to out quixote cervantes and equally offend against common sense but an endeavour to restrain this tumultuous passion and to prove that it should not be allowed to dethrone superior powers or to usurp the sceptre which the understanding should ever coolly wield appears less wild youth is the season for love in both sexes but in those days of thoughtless enjoyment provision should be made for the more important years of life when reflection takes place of sensation but rousseau and most of the male writers who have followed his steps, have warmly inculcated that the whole tendency of female education ought to be directed to one point, to render them pleasing. Let me reason with the supporters of this opinion who have any knowledge of human nature. Do they imagine that marriage can eradicate the habitude of life? The woman who has only been taught to please will soon find that her charms are oblique sunbeams, and that they cannot have much effect on her husband's heart when they are seen every day, when the summer is past and gone. Will she then have sufficient native energy to look into herself for comfort and cultivate her dormant faculties? Or is it not more rational to expect that she will try to please other men, and, in the emotions raised by the expectation of new conquests, endeavour to forget the mortification her love or pride has received? When the husband ceases to be a lover, and the time will inevitably come, her desire of pleasing will then grow languid, or become a spring of bitterness and love perhaps the most effervescent of all passions gives place to jealousy or vanity i now speak of women who are restrained by principle or prejudice such women though they would shrink from an intrigue with real abhorrence yet nevertheless wish to be convinced by the homage of gallantry that they are cruelly neglected by their husbands or days and weeks are spent in dreaming of the happiness enjoyed by congenial souls till their health is undermined and their spirits broken by discontent. How then can the great art of pleasing be such a necessary study? It is only useful to a mistress, the chaste wife and serious mother should only consider her power to please as the polish of her virtues, and the affection of her husband as one of the comforts that render her task less difficult and her life happier. But, whether she be loved or neglected, her first wish should be to make herself respectable, and not rely for her happiness, on a being subject to like infirmities with herself. The worthy Dr Gregory fell into a similar error. I respect his heart, but entirely disapprove of his celebrated legacy to his daughters. He advises them to cultivate a fondness for dress, because a fondness for dress, he asserts, is natural to them. I am unable to comprehend what either he or Rousseau meant, when they frequently use this indefinite term, If they told us that in a pre-existent state the soul was fond of dress, and brought this inclination with it into a new body, I should listen to them, with a half-smile, as I often do when I hear a rant about innate elegance. But if he only meant to say that the exercise of the faculties will produce this fondness, I deny it. It is not natural, but arises, like false ambition in men, from a love of power. Dr Gregory goes much further he actually recommends dissimulation and advises an innocent girl to give the lie to her feelings and not dance with spirit when gaiety of heart would make her feel eloquent without making her gestures immodest. In the name of truth and common sense why should not one woman acknowledge that she can take more exercise than another or in other words that she has a sound constitution and why to damp innocent vivacity is she darkly to be told that men will draw conclusions which she little thinks of let the libertine draw what inference he pleases but i hope that no sensible mother will restrain the natural frankness of youth by instilling such indecent cautions out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh and a wiser than solomon hath said that the heart should be made clean and not trivial ceremonies observed which it is not very difficult to fulfil with scrupulous exactness when vice reigns in the heart Women ought to endeavour to purify their heart. But can they do so when their uncultivated understandings make them entirely dependent on their senses for employment and amusement, when no noble pursuit sets them above the vanities of the day, or enables them to curb the wild emotions that agitate a reed over which every passing breeze has power? To gain the affections of a virtuous man, is affectation necessary? Nature has given woman a weaker frame than man, But to ensure her husband's affections, must a wife, who by the exercise of her mind and body while she was discharging the duties of a daughter, wife and mother, has allowed her constitution to retain its natural strength, and her nerves a healthy tone, is she, I say, to condescend to use art, and feign a sickly delicacy, in order to secure her husband's affection? Weakness may excite tenderness, and gratify the arrogant pride of man. But the lordly caresses of a protector will not gratify a noble mind that pants for and deserves to be respected. Fondness is a poor substitute for friendship. In a seraglio I grant that all these arts are unnecessary. The epicure must have his palate tickled, or he will sink into apathy. But have women so little ambition as to be satisfied with such a condition can they supinely dream life away in the lap of pleasure, or the languor of weariness, rather than assert their claim to pursue reasonable pleasures, and render themselves conspicuous by practising the virtues which dignify mankind? Surely she has not an immortal soul who can loiter life away, merely employed to adorn her person, that she may amuse the languid hours, and soften the cares of a fellow creature, who is willing to be enlivened by her smiles and tricks." when the serious business of life is over besides the woman who strengthens her body and exercises her mind will by managing her family and practicing various virtues become the friend and not the humble dependent of her husband and if she by possessing such substantial qualities merit his regard she will not find it necessary to conceal her affection nor to pretend to an unnatural coldness of constitution to excite her husband's passions in fact if we revert to history we shall find that the women who have distinguished themselves have neither been the most beautiful nor the most gentle of their sex. Nature, or, to speak with propriety, God, has made all things right, but man has sought him out many inventions to mar the work. I now allude to that part of Dr. Gregory's treatise, where he advises a wife never to let her husband know the extent of her sensibility or affection, voluptuous precaution and as ineffectual as absurd love from its very nature must be transitory to seek for a secret that would render it constant would be as wild a search as for the philosopher's stone or the grand panacea and the discovery would be equally useless or rather pernicious to mankind the most holy band of society is friendship it has been well said by a shrewd satirist that rare as true love is, true friendship is still rarer. This is an obvious truth, and the cause not lying deep will not elude a slight glance of inquiry. Love, the common passion in which chance and sensation take place of choice and reason, is, in some degree, felt by the mass of mankind, for it is not necessary to speak at present of the emotions that rise above or sink below love. This passion, naturally increased by suspense and difficulties, draws the mind out of its accustomed state, and exalts the affections. But the security of marriage, allowing the fever of love to subside, a healthy temperature is thought insipid, only by those who have not sufficient intellect to substitute the calm tenderness of friendship, the confidence of respect, instead of blind admiration, and the sensual emotions of fondness. This is, must be, the course of nature. Friendship or indifference inevitably succeeds love, and this constitution seems perfectly to harmonize with the system of government which prevails in the moral world. Passions are spurs to action and open the mind, but they sink into mere appetites, become a personal and momentary gratification when the object is gained and the satisfied mind rests in enjoyment the man who had some virtue whilst he was struggling for a crown often becomes a voluptuous tyrant when it graces his brow and when the lover is not lost in the husband the dotard a prey to childish caprices and fond jealousies neglects the serious duties of life and the caresses which should excite confidence in his children are lavished on the overgrown child his wife in order to fulfil the duties of life and to be able to pursue with vigour the various employments which form the moral character a master and mistress of a family ought not to continue to love each other with passion i mean to say that they ought not to indulge those emotions which disturb the order of society and engross the thoughts that should be otherwise employed the mind that has never been engrossed by one object wants vigour if it can long be so it is weak a mistaken education a narrow uncultivated mind, and many sexual prejudices, tend to make women more constant than men. But for the present I shall not touch on this branch of the subject. I will go still further and advance without dreaming of a paradox that an unhappy marriage is often very advantageous to a family, and that the neglected wife is in general the best mother, and this would almost always be the consequence if the female mind were more enlarged for it seems to be the common dispensation of providence that what we gain in present enjoyment should be deducted from the treasure of life experience and that when we are gathering the flowers of the day and revelling in pleasure the solid fruit of toil and wisdom should not be caught at the same time the way lies before us we must turn to the right or left and he who will pass life away in bounding from one pleasure to another must not complain if he acquire neither wisdom nor respectability of character supposing for a moment that the soul is not immortal and that man was only created for the present scene i think we should have reason to complain that love infantine fondness ever grew insipid and palled upon the sense let us eat drink and love for tomorrow we die would be in fact the language of reason the morality of life and who but a fool would part with a reality for a fleeting shadow but if awed by observing the improbable powers of the mind we disdain to confine our wishes or thoughts to such a comparatively mean field of action that only appears grand and important as it is connected with a boundless prospect and sublime hopes what necessity is there for falsehood in conduct and why must the sacred majesty of truth be violated to detain a deceitful good that saps the very foundation of virtue Why must the female mind be tainted by coquettish arts to gratify the sensualist and prevent love from subsiding into friendship or compassionate tenderness, when there are not qualities on which friendship can be built? Let the honest heart show itself, and reason teach passion to submit to necessity, or let the dignified pursuit of virtue and knowledge raise the mind above those emotions which rather embitter than sweeten the cup of life when they are not restrained within due bounds. I do not mean to allude to the romantic passion which is the concomitant of genius. Who can clip its wing? But that grand passion, not proportioned to the puny enjoyments of life, is only true to the sentiment, and feeds on itself. The passions which have been celebrated for their durability have always been unfortunate. They have acquired strength by absence and constitutional melancholy, The fancy has hovered round a form of beauty dimly seen, but familiarity might have turned admiration into disgust, or at least into indifference, and allowed the imagination leisure to start fresh game. With perfect propriety, according to this view of things, does Rousseau make the mistress of his soul, Eloisa, love Saint Preux, when life was fading before her. But this is no proof of the immortality of the passion of the same complexion is dr gregory's advice respecting delicacy of sentiment which he advises a woman not to acquire if she have determined to marry this determination however perfectly consistent with his former advice he calls indelicate and earnestly persuades his daughters to conceal it though it may govern their conduct as if it were indelicate to have the common appetites of human nature noble morality and consistent with the cautious prudence of a little soul that cannot extend its views beyond the present minute division of existence. If all the faculties of woman's mind are only to be cultivated, as they respect her dependence on man, if, when a husband be obtained, she have arrived at her goal, and meanly proud, rest satisfied with such a paltry crown, let her grovel contentedly, scarcely raised by her employments above the animal kingdom, but, if struggling for the prize of her high calling, She looks beyond the present scene, let her cultivate her understanding without stopping to consider what character the husband may have whom she is destined to marry. Let her only determine, without being too anxious about present happiness, to acquire the qualities that ennoble a rational being, and a rough, inelegant husband may shock her taste without destroying her peace of mind. She will not model her soul to suit the frailties of her companion, but to bear with them, His character may be a trial, but not an impediment to virtue. If Dr. Gregory confined his remark to romantic expectations of constant love and congenial feelings, he should have recollected that experience will banish what advice can never make us cease to wish for, when the imagination is kept alive at the expense of reason. I own, it frequently happens, that women who have fostered a romantic, unnatural delicacy of feeling, waste their footnote for example, the herd of novelists, end Lives in imagining how happy they should have been with a husband who could love them with a fervid increasing affection every day and all day, but they might as well pine married as single, and would not be a jot more unhappy with a bad husband than longing for a good one. That a proper education, or, to speak with more precision, a well-stored mind, would enable a woman to support a single life with dignity, I grant. But that she should avoid cultivating her taste, lest her husband should occasionally shock it, is quitting a substance for a shadow. To say the truth, I do not know of what use is an improved taste if the individual be not rendered more independent of the casualities of life, if new sources of enjoyment, only dependent on the solitary operations of the mind, are not opened. People of taste, married or single, without distinction, will ever be disgusted by various things that touch not less observing minds. On this conclusion, the argument must not be allowed to hinge, but in the whole sum of enjoyment, is taste to be denominated a blessing? The question is whether it produces most pain or pleasure. The answer will decide the propriety of Dr. Gregory's advice, and show how absurd and tyrannic it is thus to lay down a system of slavery, or to attempt to educate moral beings by any other rules than those deduced from pure reason, which apply to the whole species. Gentleness of manners, forbearance, and long suffering are such amiable godlike qualities that in sublime poetic strains the Deity has been invested with them, and perhaps no representation of his goodness so strongly fastens on the human affections as those that represent him abundant in mercy and willing to pardon gentleness considered in this point of view bears on its front all the characteristics of grandeur combined with the winning graces of condescension but what a different aspect it assumes when it is the submissive demeanour of dependence the support of weakness that loves because it wants protection and is forbearing because it must silently endure injuries smiling under the lash at which it dare not snarl abject as this picture appears it is the portrait of an accomplished woman according to the received opinion of female excellence, separated by specious reasoners from human excellence. Or, they, footnote, vide Rousseau and Swedenborg, end footnote, kindly restore the rib, and make one moral being of a man and woman, not forgetting to give her all the submissive charms. How women are to exist... In that state where there is to be neither marrying nor giving in marriage, we are not told. For though moralists have agreed that the tenor of life seems to prove that man is prepared by various circumstances for a future state, they constantly concur in advising woman only to provide for the present. Gentleness, docility, and a spaniel like affection are, on this ground, consistently recommended as the cardinal virtues of the sex, and, disregarding the arbitrary economy of nature, one writer has declared that it is masculine for a woman to be melancholy she was created to be the toy of man his rattle and it must jingle in his ears whenever dismissing reason he chooses to be amused to recommend gentleness indeed on a broad basis is strictly philosophical a frail being should labour to be gentle but when forbearance confounds right and wrong it ceases to be a virtue and however inconvenient it may be found in a companion that companion will ever be considered as an inferior and only inspire a vapid tenderness which easily degenerates into contempt still if advice could really make a being gentle whose natural disposition admitted not of such a fine polish something towards the advancement of order would be attained but if as might quickly be demonstrated only affection be produced by this indiscriminate counsel which throws a stumbling-block in the way of gradual improvement and true amelioration of temper the sex is not much benefited by sacrificing solid virtues to the attainment of superficial graces though for a few years they may procure the individual's regal sway as a philosopher i read with indignation the plausible epithets which men use to soften their insults and as a moralist i ask what is meant by such heterogeneous associations as fair defects amiable weaknesses, etc. If there be one criterion of morals, but one archetype for man, women appear to be suspended by destiny, according to the vulgar tale of Mahomet's coffin. They have neither the unerring instinct of brutes, nor are allowed to fix the eye of reason on a perfect model. They were made to be loved, and must not aim at respect, lest they should be hunted out of society as masculine but to view the subject in another point of view do passive indolent women make the best wives confining our discussion to the present moment of existence let us see how such weak creatures perform their part do the women who by the attainment of a few superficial accomplishments have strengthened the prevailing prejudice merely contribute to the happiness of their husbands do they display their charms merely to amuse them and have women who have early imbibed notions of passive obedience sufficient character To manage a family or educate children so far from it that after surveying the history of woman i cannot help agreeing with the severest satirist considering the sex as the weakest as well as the most oppressed half of the species what does history disclose but marks of inferiority and how few women have emancipated themselves from the galling yoke of sovereign man so few that the exceptions remind me of an ingenious conjecture respecting newton that he was probably a being of superior order accidentally caged in a human body following the same train of thinking i have been led to imagine that the few extraordinary women who have rushed in eccentrical directions out of the orbit prescribed to their sex were male spirits confined by mistake in female frames but if it be not philosophical to think of sex when the soul is mentioned the inferiority must depend on the organs or the heavenly fire which is to ferment the clay is not given in equal portions but avoiding as i have hitherto done any direct comparison of the two sexes collectively or frankly acknowledging the inferiority of women according to the present appearance of things i shall only insist that men have increased that inferiority till women are almost sunk below the standard of rational creatures let their faculties have room to unfold and their virtues to gain strength and then determine where the whole sex must stand in the intellectual scale yet let it be remembered that for a small number of distinguished women i do not ask a place it is difficult for us purblind mortals to say to what height human discoveries and improvements may arrive when the gloom of despotism subsides which makes us stumble at every step But, when morality shall be settled on a more solid basis, then, without being gifted with a prophetic spirit, I will venture to predict that women will be either the friend or slave of man. We shall not, as at present, doubt whether she is a moral agent, or the link which unites man with brutes. But should it then appear, that like the brutes they were principally created for the use of man, he will let them patiently bite the bridle, and not mock them with empty praise. Or, should their rationality be proved, he will not impede their improvement merely to gratify his sensual appetites. He will not, with all the graces of rhetoric, advise them to submit implicitly their understanding to the guidance of man. He will not, when he treats of the education of women, assert that they ought never to have the free use of reason, nor would he recommend cunning and dissimulation to beings who are acquiring, in like manner as himself, The virtues of humanity. Surely there can be but one rule of right, if morality has an eternal foundation, and whoever sacrifices virtue, strictly so called, to present convenience, or whose duty is to act in such a manner, lives only for the passing day, and cannot be an accountable creature. The poet should have dropped his sneer when he says, If weak women go astray, the stars are more in fault than they for that they are bound by the adamantine chain of destiny, is most certain. If it be proved that they are never to exercise their own reason, never to be independent, never to rise above opinion, or to feel the dignity of a rational will that only bows to God, and often forgets that the universe contains any being but itself, and the model of perfection to which its ardent gaze is turned, to adore tributes that, softened into virtues, may be imitated in kind, though the degree overwhelms the enraptured mind if i say for i would not impress by declamation when reason offers her sober light if they be really capable of acting like rational creatures let them not be treated like slaves or like the brutes who are dependent on the reason of man when they associate with him but cultivate their minds give them the salutary sublime curb of principle and let them attain conscious dignity by feeling themselves only dependent on God. Teach them, in common with man, to submit to necessity, instead of giving, to render them more pleasing a sex, to morals. Further, should experience prove that they cannot attain the same degree of strength of mind, perseverance and fortitude, let their virtues be the same in kind, though they may vainly struggle for the same degree, and the superiority of man will be equally clear if not clearer, and truth, as it is a simple principle which admits of no modification, would be common to both. Nay, the order of society, as it is at present regulated, would not be inverted, for woman would then only have the rank that reason assigned her, and arts could not be practised to bring the balance even, much less to turn it. These may be termed utopian dreams, thanks to that being who impressed them on my soul, and gave me sufficient strength of mind to dare to exert my own reason, till, becoming dependent only on him for the support of my virtue, I view with indignation the mistaken notions that enslave my sex. I love man as my fellow, but his sceptre, real or usurped, extends not to me, unless the reason of an individual demands my homage. And even then the submission is to reason, and not to man." in fact the conduct of an accountable being must be regulated by the operations of its own reason or on what foundation rests the throne of god it appears to me necessary to dwell on these obvious truths because females have been insulated as it were and while they have been stripped of the virtues that should clothe humanity they have been decked with artificial graces that enable them to exercise a short-lived tyranny love in their bosoms taking place of every nobler passion Their sole ambition is to be fair, to raise emotion instead of inspiring respect. And this ignoble desire, like the civility in absolute monarchies, destroys all strength of character. Liberty is the mother of virtue, and if women be, by their very constitution, slaves, they must ever languish like exotics, and be reckoned beautiful flaws in nature. As to the argument respecting the subjection, In which the sex has ever been held, it retorts on man. The many have always been enthralled by the few, and monsters who scarcely have shown any discernment of human excellence have tyrannized over thousands of their fellow creatures. Why have men of superior endowments submitted to such degradation? For is it not universally acknowledged that kings, viewed collectively, have ever been inferior in abilities and virtue to the same number of men taken from the common mass of mankind? Yet have they not, and are they not still, treated with a degree of reverence that is an insult to reason. China is not the only country where a living man has been made a god. Men have submitted to superior strength to enjoy with impunity the pleasure of the moment. Women have only done the same, and therefore till it is proved that the courtier who servilely resigns the birthright of a man is not a moral agent, it cannot be demonstrated, that woman is essentially inferior to man because she has always been subjugated brutal force has hitherto governed the world and that the science of politics is in its infancy is evident from philosophers scrupling to give the knowledge most useful to man that determinate distinction i shall not pursue this argument any further than to establish an obvious inference that as sound politics diffuse liberty mankind including woman Will become more wise and virtuous. End of chapter two of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by Mary Wollstonecraft.